time was the other night. So make sure we turn them off and be off out of the way. Okay. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you tonight for this time, this opportunity. And Lord, I pray that our hearts and minds are open, open to you this evening, Lord, that we might be able to understand better how to function in the body of Christ and how that others function in the body. And Lord, that we can see the body moving and working together. Thank you, Lord, for this people here, this body that meets here at this church. And Lord, I thank you that we all are a part of the body of Christ. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to continue dealing with the, the motivational gifts. Uh, we got one more after this one. be one more Wednesday night, and then we'll go back to our regular class format. And uh, I appreciate y'all giving me these three extra Wednesday nights when I thought I could do it in six. It's taken, well, two extra Wednesday nights. It's taken eight instead, and uh, I appreciate y'all bearing with me. And I trust that you're learning and that we can understand more fully how that we are to function in the body of Christ and others function in the body of Christ. So it's important that we understand who we are and where we are and that we work from that. Uh, all of you haven't got a paper yet, but let me, let me just give you this. You can't learn without change. And the reason I say that is you may accumulate some knowledge, but you're not learning unless what you're learning is changing you. You got that? Hey, y'all. I said, you may accumulate some facts and things, but you're not learning unless what you're learning is changing you. And to learn, to really learn, there's three factors involved in that. And it's time, effort, and money. And you say, well, why money? I'll get to that in a minute. But it takes time to learn something. You don't just automatically know. Okay? That's like when you first got born again, you did not automatically know that there were seven motivational gifts, did you? It takes time to learn that stuff. It takes time to learn things about the Word of God. You go to work at a job, it takes time to learn that. If you want to learn a skill, it takes time to learn that. You don't enroll in college and then come out next week a Ph.D. It takes time. It takes effort. You can't just go and lollygag around for four years and get a college degree. It takes effort. Whatever you want to learn, whatever you want to get into. This year, I've, uh, as all of you know, I started doing raised bed gardening. And uh, I knew how to build a structure that I could call a raised bed, but then I didn't know all, and I still don't, I didn't know a lot of the ramifications of that, how to put it together and what to do with it and fertilize it and all of this kind of thing, water it. So I've had to take time to do that and put forth effort to learn. Anything you're going to learn, like these things, it takes effort. You've been coming, a lot of you have these Wednesday nights, and you put forth effort, and I trust that you've learned something. Another thing it takes is money. Uh, raised bed gardening is rewarding but it's not necessarily the cheapest way to garden. But to me, it's become the easiest way to garden. And uh, so it takes money, anything you do. 
And somebody said, well, I learned by my mistakes. And a lot of times those mistakes involved money, didn't they? So whatever it takes, money touches everything. So we want to learn. Understand as you come to church and apply yourself on Sunday morning, on Wednesday night, in the classes, whatever you do, it takes time and effort. I've had people to tell me years ago that say, I wish I knew the Bible like you did. And I told them, I tell them every time, well, you can if you'll take the time and put forth the effort to study that Bible. You can know it like I do. I haven't got a corner on the market. Matter of fact, there's a whole lot I don't know yet, but I'm putting forth the effort to do it. And if you want to learn about the Bible, chances are you're going, it's going to take time, it's going to take effort, and it's going to take money. Don't ever be afraid to, to get a book about the Bible, about subjects in the Bible, things in the Bible, get money to buy you a good study Bible with. See, if all you depend on is what your cell phone, that Bible on your cell phone, or what you get up here on Sunday morning, you're not going to learn much about the Bible. It takes time, effort, and money. Study. Stay in it. So, and, and the thing about it is, as you do that, it's going to change you. Regardless of what it is, those three things are involved in it right there. In Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, live in sacrifice, hold except to the Lord, which is your reasonable service. And be not, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Our ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching and he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, and cling to what is good. Now tonight we're going to be talking about the part where it says in verse 8, he who leads with diligence. Other translations says he who rules or he who governs. And it's talking about a leader and a project, a leader in different things, and not necessarily a pastor, but this is talking about working in the body of Christ. Uh, an administrator is another term to use for this. An administrator <clears throat> is also called an organizer. You know, if you don't have somebody that's willing to take the lead and organize, you're gonna all you're going to end up with is a whole bunch of... Uh, Chaos, right? So you've got to have that. that. That's necessary. These people are necessary. Uh, the word ruler comes from the Greek word protissimi, and it means one who stands in front of others or to lead. And uh, there's only three out of every 100 people in the body of Christ that has this administrator motivation. You've heard the term too many chiefs and not enough Indians? Well, that did not come from the Indians. The Indians had one chief. He had people to help him. They had one chief. 
All the rest of them are just Indians. And I don't mean that in a, in a racist kind of a thing, but that's the truth. And uh, when there's a project going on, there needs to be somebody that can be in charge and everybody else be willing to assist and help. It's, it's on the job. You know, you know why on the job that they don't have ten supervisors and three workers? Even though it seems like that way sometimes, don't it? I'm sure it does at Bradley's place. Sir, where everybody wants to be a supervisor, don't they? And, but it's because only three out of every 100 have this. Everybody else is to be involved and helps and encouraging and doing what they can to assist that leader as they step out to do those things. See, this gift helps the body define, maintain, and carry out goals by providing leadership support that's, that needs are effectively met by the whole body. Many years ago, I think it was probably 1996, uh, my house over there, the roof was leaking terribly bad. And a few of the men in the church found out about it, and they said, well, let's See if we can't raise the money and get you a roof to put on there. I said, okay. So we're just going to do it ourselves. All right. So here we go. We got over there, and uh, we were going to do it ourselves, and we were going to put the shingles on over the shingles that was on there because we didn't want to go through all the problem of tearing them off. You remember us doing that, Mark? Uh, did we tear them off? Okay, well, we tore them off then, all right? <laughs> and we had... Six or seven people up on the top of the house trying to do stuff and getting in everybody's way. And we had a fellow to show up, climbed up on top of the house and looked around for a minute. And he sort of tried to get involved and he finally said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Won't you do this and you do this and you do this and you do this and you do this. And you know, we did what he said and got the thing done. Now that is a motivational gift of organization. He came along at just the right time, and uh, we thank God for that. Now, the thing about it is one that rules or leads or organizes has to learn to be the servant of all. Jesus said if you want to be great in the kingdom, and that word great, if you go look it up, it lends itself to being the one in front or the leader. Then you've got to be servant of all. A leader is going to have a servant heart and a servant attitude. Uh, they're going to be submissive, have a submissive spirit because a true leader realizes that there's somebody over them. You remember the guy that came to Jesus, the Roman centurion. He, he said to Jesus, said, you don't have to come to my house, just speak the word of my servant to be healed. He said, because I'm a man under authority. I have authority. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and the other one come, and he comes. But he said, I am under authority. Every person on the face of this earth has someone that's over them, whether they realize it or not. We all do. We all have someone not necessarily to answer to, but someone that's over us and that we look to. Sometimes a leader has to learn to be a floor mat because uh, somebody that's leader is going to be the one that sometimes the spotlight's on and they're going to get walked on. But one thing that a true leader is, they don't get their feelings hurt real easy and run off and pout and cry. Now, some characteristic to the administrator motivation is they have the ability to see the overall picture, and they see the long-range goals. Someone that has, that's involved in the ministry of helps, 
support ministry. They don't see long-range goals. They see short-range goals. We, uh, the church in North Carolina built a parsonage, and uh, we were going to do it ourselves. That's what everybody wanted to do, man. I mean, 30 or 35 men, we'll, we'll build this thing, and we'll be done with this thing. Well, you know, in building a house, that don't just get done immediately. And uh, it came down towards the end of it, and the house needed siding on it. I think me and Matt did most of the work of putting that siding on that house because everybody else had filtered out, sort of, you know. And somebody in the ministry helps. They can't help it. That's the way they are. Show them a short-term goal. Keep them busy. But this administrator sees the long-range goal, sees what's to come, and, and they can, from the end, see the finished product, but they know it's a time in getting there and doing that. Now, another thing about them, they will not lead unless they're invited to lead. But if there's no other leader present, they'll take over. But they'll only organize that for which they are responsible for. That fellow that's on the roof over there, he was involved in some other things that he just worked like everybody else did. They have the ability to get people to work. And they can get people to work who are, who are normally lazy. Uh, that'd be a good person to have as a foreman on the job, wouldn't it? If I could get that lazy person to work. They have the ability to know what people can do and to get them to do it. They can see what people can do. They have a spiritual insight which enables them to pick the right people for the right jobs. Remember now, only three out of every 100 people in the body of Christ have this gift. That's the reason that, that all of us are not able to see this. It's not our job to see this. It's their job. Always remember that, that the motivated gifts will stimulate natural ability, and, uh, but they themselves are spiritual ability. It's just like when the children of Israel were going to build the tabernacle. God gave those craftsmen the ability to do what they did. God said to, told Moses, said, pick this guy and pick this guy because I am giving them the ability to be in charge of this. So God gives us ability according to where we're at. Another thing about somebody with this motivation is they don't procrastinate. If a job's given to them, they say, well, let's get it done. You know, there's no need to wait until next week or next month to do it. If we're going to do it, let's get it done. And uh, when you see somebody that has that understanding, that's the person maybe to put in charge of a project that needs to get done. Here's another thing. They may be called pack rats because they collect everything and throw away nothing. <laughs> I'm going to stop right there before I get in trouble. They know where everything is. And even though it may not look like it in their mind, they're organized. Someone with this if you say like an accountant, you walk into their office and, uh, and they've got boxes and folders and everything stacked up and you tell them what you're there for and they can go right to that file and pull it out right where it's at. And, you know, it take the rest of us two hours to look through everything and find it. They know where it's at. And uh, I wish I was that way when it comes to lost tools and lost things in my shop. I had a set of earphones that I can Bluetooth and I wear them when I uh, do the lawnmower. 
because it, it hurts my head in a little bit from the, all the noise right there. And I've had them for a couple of years, and boy, they work good. And so I went out to cut grass one day, and I didn't have them. And I looked and looked. I looked in the house. I looked outside. And I had already made up my mind that what I did, I had a bunch of, one day I got off lawnmower and had a bunch of garbage in my hand, and I put it in my garbage bag outside, and I just knew I'd put those headphones in there. I just knew I did. Well, I mean, we looked through the house. Loretta was involved in helping me look. So I went and bought another pair. And you know, those things are not real cheap. But I bought another pair because I kind of like. And uh, the second time I used them, I came around and sat down on my lawnmower. And I looked over here. was a couple of sawhorses sitting there right at the end of the shed. Guess what was hanging on one of them? Right out in the wide open. Okay. <laughs> I know none of y'all else have that kind of problem of, of uh, can't find something, you go buy another, and then, then when you do, you find it. Any of y'all have that problem? Good. I'm glad I'm not by myself. Uh, another thing about them, their motivation is to do a good job. And they finish each task desiring to get started on the next one. They're not like some of us that gets accused of this, of getting one started and before they get done, move to another one. People are motivated to organize are not satisfied to do one thing and then quit. In other words, if somebody really has this, then they need to, con- need to be something for them to continue to do. They're not happy to just do one thing and then sit down and never do nothing else. They're willing to endure reaction from other workers to accomplish their task. And uh, another thing, these people may not be organized at home. They're sort of like the uh, uh, plumber that fixes everybody else's leak but theirs. You know, or the mechanic that fixes everybody else's automobile but their own. Uh, but their their move is to see that things are organized in the church, that what the church is doing, that they are organized in that, and uh, they want God's work to be organized in all that they do. Now, there's some weaknesses of this organization uh, motivation. Their ability to delegate responsibility may be an avoidance of work, and they may appear to be lazy. In other words, they may be standing there pointing everybody else to do something and them standing back and watching them do it or make sure they do it. But uh, a real leader is not only going to show people what they need to be doing, but they're going to jump in and help. It's, uh, it's, it's Their attitude is that we're not done till we're all done. So that's the way they work. Their willingness to endure reaction may appear to be callous. In other words, uh, sometimes they'll push back advice from somebody else because they got this thing set in their mind. And uh, they get the term hard-headed, mind-made-up, that kind of thing. But if you feel that you have this ability, then you need to be willing to listen to others' inputs because let me tell you, regardless of how perfect you get, you ain't got it all figured out yet. They view and treat people like they were material. In other words, the material is part. The people are part of the material for the project. Uh, you know, if I got a project and I'm going to build a shed, and I need so many uh, two by fours and two by sixes and siding and plywood and shingles, but I need eight people to go right along with that. So that's that's the way to do. Uh, another thing is they normally never show appreciation. 
If you got somebody that you're doing something for and they act like they don't appreciate it, really they do, but that's just hard for them to show that appreciation. And a lot of times this kind of thing is that'll run people off from church, and that's the reason that these people don't make good pastors, because they'll they'll somebody with this motivation never thanks anybody for doing anything. They just well we got it done and go on. That's it. And uh, you know pastors are that way if they have this motivation. So you have to be cautious. If somebody's helping you do something, regardless where you have this motivation or not, you need to be willing to humbly thank them for what they're doing and how they're helping and benefiting the job. And their desire to be get the job done quickly uh, may appear to be insensitive. I don't care what else you got to do. we got to get this done. I mean, you know, you can go to the ball game the next one. This ain't the last ball game they're going to be. You know, that kind of attitude, insensitive to it. Children with this characteristic, uh, they have a zeal, a real zeal and enthusiasm to their personality. They're outgoing, so to speak. And uh, they're outgoing with a wide range of interest. They like a lot of different kind of stuff. And uh, they get involved in excessive activity. That's that. They can't get, a, you know, always want to have something to do, something to do, something to do. They're somewhat forward. And when I read that, I thought about my great-grandson Tanner. He's pretty forward. <laughs> he, and, uh, he is uh, has a wide range, of, wide range of interest, too. And uh, his enthusiasm and his personality, I mean, everybody likes him. So I'm not saying he has this, but I just was thinking about him. You watch him next time he's around, how he does. And have an inner drive to be first. Won't be first, of course, now. When he's playing soccer, he's just out there having fun. He don't care whether he's first or last or middle or what. Nehemiah is a good Bible example of someone with this organization. I don't know if you read the book of Nehemiah, but you ought to read it. It's a good book to read. Uh, it's, it's been one of my favorite books for years. And just let me drop this note in here. It seemed like that, uh, you know, Back in 1987, we desired to start the church, but it seemed like that just was getting pushed further and further away. I was offered, uh, I could have went and offered to come and be the pastor of Mill Creek Church at that time. And also we were going over to First Assembly at Arab, and the pastor over there offered to uh, bring me on as uh, um Minister of Music, Minister of Education, a full-time thing, you know, and it, it would have got me out of that 70- and 80-hour-a-week job, and all of that looked good. I mean, it was beautiful, and I thought about it. and I didn't pray about it, but I thought about it. And it seemed like everything at home was just going further and further down the hill. And I came in from work one night about midnight, and uh, I sat down at the end of the table and picked up my Bible. And I just opened it to the book of Nehemiah. No particular place. I just wanted to Nehemiah. And I opened it to the book of Nehemiah. And I just opened up in chapter 9, and I believe it's verse 16, that says, and because I, I was sitting there saying, God, what's wrong? What's wrong? This ain't the way this is supposed to be, you know, and all of this. And the words of that verse says, Nevertheless, they were disobedient. And I didn't read any further than that verse. I knew I wasn't supposed to be at Mill Creek or Arab. I knew I was supposed to be right here at Faultful. And start a church. So I got down on my knees. I prayed. I said, okay, God, we're going to do this. I just need you to tell me when, where, and how. And what. 
And so the Lord said to me, he says, you know, the name of the church be Victory Fellowship. Start the first Sunday in September. And showed me where to start in that old building that was out on 31 there on the side of what used to be Walker Williams Lumber Company. I mean, all of that was just so real. And when I got up from there, I was ready to go. And uh, that's, that's how it all got started. But Nehemiah, he was in Babylon. He had been taken as one of the, the captives to Babylon during that time. And uh, King Cyrus had begun to give a decree and let him go back. And they had gone back and had started building the temple, rebuilding the temple. And they got in the lag about that. And, and uh, Ezra and Nehemiah in the book of Haggai talks about it. They got in the lag about building the temple. But then Nehemiah heard that they were doing nothing to rebuild the walls. Now, that day the walls were important for a city because it was their main line of defense. So they were not building the walls. That way all the enemies could come in and tear down everything they were doing. So Nehemiah... First of all, he set a goal. He said to the king, If it pleases the king and your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, The queen also sat by his side, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. told him when he would be back. So an, an organizer is going to set a time. They're going to have a plan. They're going to have a schedule, a goal. Then when he got there, he surveyed the situation. He didn't just run in and say, okay, we need to rebuild these walls. No, he took time. And then he said, and this is what he said. He said, I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent wall and the refuge gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were burned with fire. Then I went up to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley, and I viewed the wall that I turned back and entered by the valley gate, and so returned. Now he did that. Nobody in town knew he was doing it. Nobody in the city of Jerusalem knew that he was doing it. But he went out to survey the situation, to see what, how bad it was and what it was going to take. Then... When he got it all put together, he came back and explained the overall goal. So that's something the organizer will do. They'll say, look here, we're going to, you know, we've got to do this and this and this and this, and here's what we're going to accomplish. So he said, and the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waits, and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. So he said, here's what we're going to do. Our goal is to do this. Well, did everything go smooth? No, he had opposition. And if you have this organization uh, motivation, there's going to be times that you're going to face opposition in what you do. It's going to come from within. It's going to come from without. And uh, But then we find in verse 19, but when Sanballat, who was a, a uh, foreigner, the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Gesham the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? Will you rebel against the king? And then in uh, chapter 4, 
verses 7 and 8, it said, Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and that gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. So he was having trouble, having difficulty. Well, did he give up? See, if you have this motivation, you've got to come to the point where there's no give up in you. This motivation is not real strong in me, but once we started the church, there was no give up in me. And I know you've heard me say this, but we were told we wouldn't make it a year. And I don't know what year they were talking about because, uh, you know, we're not looking for that year. But the more people said that kind of thing, the deeper it got in me that this church was going to be here. And I, and I said to the Lord, Lord, when we start, we're never going to stop. Whatever it takes, even to the point of doing without, the churches stay open. I said, two things that's going to happen. The church doors will stay open once they're open. And here we are 30, what, six years later? And the church doors are still open. And we're not going to give up. Don't have any quit about us. I got a little weak one time in that, but that's okay. Uh, Loretta straightened out about it. But what did he do? He prayed, and he didn't give up. Back there in chapter 4, it says, here's what he's praying. O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their heads and give them as plunder to the land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sins be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall. Get a hold of this now. We built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Now, I thought about this today as I studied back over this. Not only does this talk about Nehemiah, the organizer, bringing things together, but there was a whole bunch of people that was involved in the ministry of helps. And they built the wall not because Nehemiah was the organizer. He was part of it. But they built the wall because the people had a mind to work. I mean, so all of us, when somebody comes along and they're that organizer and we're trying to get something done, don't take the attitude of standing back and say, well, let them do it. No, they had a mind to work, and that's what they did. Then he organized the people. Now, we're not going to read all of this. It's in chapter 3. He, he sat down, and he said, okay, here's what we can do. You take this section of the wall in front of your house, and you build it over to the next house. And then those people will take it, and they'll build it to the next house. And they did that. They worked around that thing until it was completely finished all the way around. And whenever these people, Sanballat and Tobiah and those, was going to come against them, and they said, we'll come down there and said, a fox can't even run across that without it falling down. So they come, they threaten to come in and invade them. Nehemiah, he said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take half the people, let them work with their hands building the wall, and the other half the people is going to stand guard and then they went on a little bit further and he said here's another thing we're going to do so we can get the work done work with one hand hold your sword and spear with the other hand so they were ready he had them working together and folks they came back they cleared this thing out and they rebuilt this wall in 58 days 
Now that's something to think about the wall around that city. He organized the people. He got them to work. And remember verse 6, chapter 4, verse 6. They built the wall because the people had a mind to work. See, you now we talk about things that we want to do here and we talk about building and adding on and things of that nature. And folks, we can do it. And I know it seems like a long time and coming. And uh, I wish that we could set out in 58 days from today be through with what we want to do. But the thing about it is when we get to the point to where we can do that, there's going to have to be some effort involved in some of us to be able to get things done that needs to be done. But I'm going to tell you this. I'm convinced of it that we can do anything that we need to do that God is leading us to do if we'll put ourselves together and the people have a mind to work. Take a, a, a different look at Sodom. And, I'm not Sodom and Gomorrah, but Tyre Babel for a moment. They all spoke the same language. They were all saying the same thing. God, they were going to build this tower into heaven, which was not right. But listen to what God said about them. The people are speaking as one. And now then, because they all have the same language or saying the same thing, there's nothing that will be left to them that they imagine in their heart to do. Now think about that. When we're all talking the same thing and pushing the same way and whatever we do, there's nothing left that we can't do. We can do it. We can get it done. If God's leading us to do it, we can get it done. Same way in your home. If everybody's moving together in your home, you, you can get it accomplished. At your work, you can get it accomplished. At school, you can get it accomplished. On the football team, if, if everybody on the football team is thinking and moving in the same direction, you can get it accomplished. Regardless of what it is, it'll work that way. And they built that wall because that Nehemiah convinced them that they could do it, and he was leading them in it, but the people had a mind to work, and they built the wall. Amen. Anybody got a question or comment? I love teaching about Nehemiah. <laughs> He's a good